Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. I think that was set for a child's voice. Man. I feel like we have had church this morning, church. If my name wasn't on the program, I'd just say, let's all go home. But we want to stay with the order. So uh, it is good to be kind of kicking us off for just a minute this morning. Josh uh, and Casey and the kids are in Lincoln, Nebraska. And they are big Husker fans because they are wise and good and loving. So if you're a Huskers fan, let's just hear it. Go Big Red. Jim Berryman, my man, that's right. That would be you and me and the Rosses. So I don't know where my kids were. Josh, Caleb, Hinkle, nothing? Where are you? Are you in here? Yeah, we've got a wave. That's it. Uh, but Many people ask, why is Josh Ross a Huskers fan? Because he grew up in Texas. The answer is, I already told you. He's smart. He's good. He's kind. And he was an option quarterback in the mid-90s when uh, the Huskers were wreaking havoc on the rest of college football. Jim and I, we're native Nebraskans, so we, uh, <clears throat> we love the Huskers. But they got a chance to go up and go to a football game, and they actually got on the practice field. And uh, I'm sure we'll hear this from the pulpit. And Josh, if you're watching, I'm sure you'll tell this story. Uh, several times, but Truett actually got to go in the middle of the entire team and do the one, two, three Huskers at the end of practice and break the huddle. So um, I'm sure they are Husker fans for life. So, uh, so I'm I'm here this morning. My name's Jim. If this is your first time with us, I'm one of the youth ministers along with Fawn, and uh, I really do feel like we've had church. Uh, this is the best seat in the house. I don't sit up here a whole lot. But the singing is just overwhelming. And the words, the, the messages that we are singing about, if you're listening to anything we're singing, your heart's just got to be full. It's got to be confident. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited to, to share a couple thoughts from Matthew 5 this morning. Before I do, I want to pray uh, two things specifically. One, one of my students came up to me this morning and asked that we would pray for uh, a football player at his school named Sammy. He goes to Fayetteware and is nickname is Endzone, and he rolled his car uh, this weekend, I believe, and he's in the hospital, and he asked that we would pray for him in our worship service this morning. So I want to honor that, and also uh, we want to just say a special blessing and prayer for the Tidwell family. They're right over here, uh, beautiful family, Jody and Jamie. I don't see Jody here this morning, 
and I'm, you're missing a kid, so he's probably with, um, with a kid. Maggie and Emmy and Max, they are moving to Florida. Jamie works at St. Jude, and she's taking a similar role at a children's hospital in St. Petersburg. And this is our last Sunday with you guys. And the Tidwells have been part of our family here for just over a year, but it seems like I can't even remember pre-Tidwell time. So we love you guys, and you will be uh, very missed. So let's bow. Let's pray for this family, for Sammy. God, thanks for caring deeply about our lives, caring deeply about this world. Uh, thank you, God, that you weave different people in and sometimes out of our lives at different times, but they're always right on your time. And God, we believe that you are orchestrating things in this world that we can't fully understand or comprehend this out of heaven, but we believe in faith that you are up to something. And God, we come and we see situations uh, like a young man sitting in uh, hospital. Uh, We don't fully understand how your plan is at work, but we believe that it is. God, when our hearts break because good friends uh, move, um, we we are sad, uh, but we believe that you are on the move and that your story uh, ends well. And so, God, we lift up Sammy and his family and his teammates, and we pray for healing and recovery. And we pray for the Tidwells, for Jody and Jamie to find community that will keep them pointed at you and pointing at you as they move to Florida at the end of this week. God, I pray that over the next few minutes that whatever is said and whatever is heard, that it would all honor you. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So I want to show you a few pictures and just ask you, what do you see? So here's the first picture. Is that a duck? Or is that a rabbit? Ah, I'll give it a second. I'll give it a second to sink in. (laughs) How many of you see a duck first when you see that? How many of you see a rabbit first? All right. Next picture, and you may have seen these. In this picture, do you see a young woman? Or do you see an old woman with a very large nose? Wait for it. Wait for it. There's always someone on your row who you have to say, no, see, look over on that side. So I'm just waiting for it to work its way through there. There we go. I see the fingers pointing. That's good. Okay, last picture. What do you see? Do you see a beautiful face of a woman or do you see a silhouette of a man playing a horn? Somebody saw a cat? I don't know. I don't know what you had for breakfast. So, I I think these are fun. I love these things. And and you've probably seen most, if not all, of these today uh, before. But, But the reality is, I think the spiritual application is, there really are always a couple different things to see when it comes to reality. And and so for the last several weeks, what I think we've been trying to do with this series of altered and being in the Beatitudes is say that the world would say, if you are in mourning, that is your reality. If you're in lament, that's it. There's no more. 
curse God and die kind of a Job thing. But I think the gospel comes to us and says, that's, that's not reality. There, there is comfort. You will be comforted in spite of the fact that you're mourning, in spite of the fact that you're poor in spirit. You will have access. You do have access to the kingdom of God, even if you're coming at God from your lowest of lows and nothing to really offer. There's always two ways of seeing things. Some of you last night uh, probably saw a college football game, and if you rooted for a certain team and saw a certain quarterback throw a certain incredible touchdown pass of about 50-odd yards, uh, you were thrilled, and you saw lots of people dressed in orange with their mouths gaping open, right? Tennessee fans were weeping. They were weeping, but... Did Josh Dobbs see that as a moment to cry? Of course not. The Tennessee quarterback knew, or at least saw an opportunity for some late game heroics, and he throws this Hail Mary and this incredible catch at the end of the game, and two people could have been sitting next to each other, a Tennessee and a Georgia fan, but I think they probably saw very different realities in what was going on, right? I'm not a Vols fan, but even I enjoyed that play. That was pretty incredible. So wherever we come to a point in life, to a situation in life, to an experience in life, there's two things to see. And Jesus makes all the difference about what we see there. See, I believe the difference Jesus makes is he gives us a belief that God is at work, that we are part of the plan, and that there's more to reality than what than what meets the eye and that changes everything and so when we talk about the beatitudes the idea of the beatitudes is that those who have access to his kingdom are forever altered and as we move on from the beatitudes this morning just for a minute into talking about a global god these people who we see in the beatitudes that have access to the kingdom they become salt in a tasteless world and light, in a world in which people cannot see. These people that are kingdom people, they're different. And when they see the stuff of the world lifted up, instead of retreating in fear, they move forward in confidence and faith. This is what Matthew writes. Let's uh, look together, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Right after the Beatitudes, coming out of this, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Salt is a good thing. If you've ever eaten food without salt, just a little pinch makes all the difference in the world. One of the most tasteless meals I've ever had, I've had it three times, and it comes in uh, this place called Hutt, Harding University at Dakota, and they've set up this mission simulation kind of environment. So that if you're going to go and you're going to go serve overseas or even domestically, 
there's a kind of an Appalachian environment, there's a Haitian environment, there's an African environment, there's a Latin American environment, there's a refugee environment. It's an incredible experience. And we take our students on it every four years. We used to do it more often than that, but we can't get them to go more than once because it's not fun, but it's really a great learning experience. And one of the things we do is we barter for food and we go out and we work and we try to, we try to buy our own food. And so usually uh, this family, last time I went, I was in a family of five people, myself, another adult, and three students. And we were in a Haitian slum uh, built into the rocks uh, of, Arcan- of a, kind of the cliffside in Arkansas, outside Searcy. And <clears throat> for the five of us, we had two small red potatoes, and we had an ear of corn, and we had a pot and water. And that was it. And I remember thinking, if I could just have the tiniest pinch of salt, this meal would go from just something that provides nutrition but has no taste and you can't enjoy to really being something that could be pretty tasty, just a little tiny bit of salt. And I feel like as believers, as Christians, so much of our lives tends to just kind of lose saltiness and there's a blandness to being a Christian. There's a blandness to being a disciple. And I think Jesus would say that is not what it's about. And it just takes a little bit of salt, a little bit of light. What's the darkest place you've ever been? Have any of you ever been in a cave? When my son Josh was 10 years old, uh, his grandfather took him on a 10-year-old trip, and they went up to the caves in Kentucky. And if you've ever been in one of those cave tours and they turn the lights off, there is no light at all. And it takes the teeniest, tiniest little bit of light to completely change your experience and to chase away the fear that's in the darkness of that cave. That's the imagery that, Je- that Jesus chose to give to say that those of us who have access to the kingdom of heaven, those of us who believe that there's two sides to every story, those of us who believe that Jesus makes a difference in how we see the world, we're the ones that add the salt. We're the ones that bring the light. And all these things in the Beatitudes, this access to the kingdom, becoming children of God and having the kingdom of heaven in, in us and access to it, it changes who we are and how we see the world. There's one man that I think really epitomizes what it means to be salt and light, and we're about to hear a video interview with him. His name's Dr. Kent Brantley. He was the 2014 Time Magazine Person of the Year. Uh, Kent battled Ebola. He was one of two doctors uh, treating patients in Liberia for the Ebola virus. Many of you may know uh, that he uh, contracted the virus. He had it, I believe, for 10 days in Liberia, 20 days in the States, but he had a full recovery. At the time that he contracted Ebola, he had not met, and he had been treating patients for four or five months. He had not seen a patient survive this virus. But he survived, and uh, he is, uh, he's an Abilene Christian graduate. He and Josh have a connection. And so I think uh, Josh thought this was a great opportunity for him to talk to Kent and just ask how the Beatitudes and this walking with Jesus help form somebody who can be salt and be light. It's about a 10-minute interview, so let's watch this video together. Hey, Sycamore View, so excited to have my, my buddy Kent Brantley uh, 
join me today, join us. Um, many of you have followed Kent's story uh, that, that began just over two years ago as he was ministering in Africa. Uh, it's hard for me to believe it's been two years that your fight with Ebola made so many people in our church and around the world. Uh, and we were praying for you, for your friends, so many people affected by that. And I know there were some people who did not survive uh, and we mourn that, but we are so grateful that you were alive and what God has done in and through you. And you've been, you've had opportunities now to speak of God's faithfulness all over the place, man. You've been in the Oval Office and college campuses, conferences. Uh, uh, you've been with medical students. I'm just so grateful for the witness you have been. So do tell us right now, man, like, where are you? What are you doing? Well, we are, we're back in Fort Worth, Texas. It's where I graduated from residency. I'm back working at John Peter Smith Hospital where I did my training in family medicine. But, but Josh, you know, you said my story started two years ago, but you know that my story started long before two years ago. Oh, yeah. Started long before we met back at ACU, right? And and I just want to take a moment here at the beginning to say thank you to um, the people there in your church. Um, you know, Efren and Suzanne Marrero knew me way back when, and um, I know that they were uh, some of some of my strong prayer warriors, uh, leading other people and interceding for me during that hard time. And so I just want to say thank you to, uh, to everyone there for uh, your support uh, through that difficult experience. Yeah. Oh man. And I knew of your relationship with them. Um, grateful for your marriage with Amber. So good to hear that your kids are doing well, man. I wanted to to have you on because we have an offering coming up in October, which is our mission offering every year. And I'm also been, I've also been in a series right now in the Beatitudes, which, I mean, you and I were talking just a little while ago, and it's been something you've been in recently with your discipleship group. I mean, let me just ask you, as you think about the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, is there one of those that uh, really hit, hit you hard right now that you find great comfort in? And, and is there one that is challenging you more than any of the others? You know, I think... I think the two that stand out to me the most these days are blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy and blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Um, we, we've had so much to rejoice in and be thankful for in the last two years, but we've also found ourselves mourning a lot. Um, not just the, mourning the loss of of what we had in Liberia, uh, the life that we were finally living that we've been working towards for so long, and not not even just the, the devastation that came to Liberia with Ebola, but even since we've been back in Fort Worth, the loss of dear friends to car accidents and cancer and, and marital strife among friends, just things that have caused us to mourn and grief seems to weigh more than it used to. Mm. So that, that beatitude that blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted Mm -hmm. uh, really, really speaks to me these days. Yeah. 
Is there one that challenges you more than the others right now? Probably uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Yeah. I find myself wanting to hunger and thirst for righteousness more than I do. Uh, and so that, that is a challenge to me. Yeah. Well, man, what I'm, what I'm wanting to do, uh, and what we're going to do in the sermon flow in the, um, in the coming weeks is we're finishing this, the Beatitudes, which end with blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And a lot of times when we study the Beatitudes, that's where it's, that's where it ends because we do a study on the Beatitudes and then we go and we study something else. But Jesus immediately goes from the Beatitudes to you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. As if to say, like when we live into the Beatitudes and receive the blessings for what they are, it uh, does something to us, but it also prepares us to be a certain kind of people in the world. Uh, and, and for Jesus to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world in that culture, I mean, it was, it took sacrifice, it took risk, it took adventure. I want you to speak into risk for us just for a moment, like risky faith. And I just want you to, will you take just a moment and, and talk to us about what was, what was risky faith like for you pre Ebola and post Ebola? You, you know, I, we didn't really, we didn't feel like we were taking that big of a risk to move to Liberia. We yeah. were, we were living our dream when we moved to Liberia. Um, but I, I think what I've learned through that whole experience is that faith, living a life of faith, seeking to be faithful to Christ and follow him faithfully, it doesn't make you safe. It doesn't protect you from risk. Um, and sometimes it puts you in a place that seems dangerous. Mm -hmm. There's there's a an old saying that uh, if, if you've heard it back when I first heard it, you know, back in college, it almost has become cliche by now. But for some people, it's it's fresh and new, and that is that that there's no safer place to be than right in the middle of God's will. Mm, right. And it, and it may sound cliche or or like something that you buy on a poster, but I think there's there's theologic truth to that, that when you are following God, your faith does not make you safe as in protect you from physical risk or danger, but there is no danger in this world that is, that it's not worth following God through. Yeah. And, and he doesn't promise us uh, an, an easy outcome in the here and now but he does promise that he will be faithful mm. and and so I, I think when we when we start thinking about risk and and security um, and and providing for our own security we've got to remember that God doesn't call us to be safe he calls us to be faithful mm-hmm that's one of my favorite favorite lines from one of my favorite books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when they're talking about Aslan the Lion, who is the, the character of Christ. 
Yeah. And the character says, one of the girls says, is, is he safe? And another character answers and says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. Yes. <laughs> it's one of my favorite lines of that movie too, man. Yeah. Uh, and I think God started teaching me maybe, it seems like maybe 15 years ago, um, that in the presence of God, it can both be like the safest place you could ever be. And it can be the most dangerous place you could ever be like to, I mean, safe within the will of God. Uh, but yet when you were there and God begins to give you a vision for what he wants of you, it can be almost anything, but those, but, but the kind of how we think about security. Yeah. yeah. Dude, let me ask you, um, I, I got your book right here, Call for Life. All right. Uh, <clears throat> so you and Amber, this was released, I guess, last summer. Man, I read that book in one setting. I couldn't put it down. I was on a, I was actually on a flight coming back from Colorado Springs where I got the book. Uh, read it in one setting. Oh, dude, there were parts I just, I lost it, man. Like I, I people on the plane were looking at me like, somebody needs to help that dude over there. What's wrong? You know, the parts that really got me, I mean, you, it's a raw book. Like you, it's, it's raw. It's a detailed description, but the parts of, um, some of the, the stories about Amber and, and your kids, but let me ask you just for a moment. It's, it's the title of the book is called for life. The title of the book is not called to Africa or, or called to a specific mission, it's it's called for life. So there was a calling on your life. And you mentioned a minute ago, and I love that, that you didn't feel like it was some big risk to go to, to Liberia. It was your dream. Like, that's what you guys wanted to do. Um, the title of the book really grabbed me as I've been thinking about this conversation. And how do you, how do you and Amber see that calling playing out in your life now? And when we, when we chose that title, you know, it was, it was a, a decision made in conjunction with our publisher, and uh, we—I think it was one that we kind of mentioned, and they grabbed it and wouldn't hear any other options. And uh, after we kind of sat on it for a while, we thought this—this this could be a dangerous title for a book, mm. because two years from now, somebody could be asking us, "So, so you were called for life? What are you doing now? Where? Why aren't you back in Africa?" Um, but I, I think you hit on the heart of it that we are, we are called for life as in our lives belong to Christ. We've given them to him. They are his. And no matter where we are, we have to seek to be faithful to that calling. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there are days that I want nothing more than to be back in sub-Saharan Africa, um, a little bush hospital taking care of sick people. But right now we're on the south side of Fort Worth and I work in a county hospital taking care of sick people. Yeah. And um, we, we're seeking to be faithful to God in our current circumstances, to be present where we are, to be salt and light mm -hmm. right where we are for now. Yeah. Man, that's beautiful. And dude, we're, I know we're all rooting for you and 
where we are in our context. We want to live into that faithfulness as well. I think it was Don McLaughlin. I once heard a, a sermon he did where he said, uh, sometimes we wrestle with the question of what is God's will for my life? And it's not a bad question, but the first question you need to wrestle with is what is God's will? And God's will is a life of faithfulness and surrender and sacrifice and adventure. So before you can get to like the specific, like what does God want of me today? It's, you know, what does God want? Like what does God want of my heart? But, hey man, let me uh, just put you on the spot real quick. Just the last word. How would you, how would you just challenge the church? Speak a word of either blessing or a word of uh, encouragement of, of convicting word what would you what would you speak to the church today i think when i have a chance to say a word to people my message is the same as as i've been preaching for the last two years at least that is we must especially we as the as the church as the body of christ we must choose compassion Mm. and faithfulness over fear. We cannot let fear choose us to make unfaithful decisions. Mm. And, and we just have to trust that when we act out of compassion for the vulnerable among us and around us, that God will be faithful to his promises to provide us everything we need to be faithful to him. Wow. Man, that's a good word to end on. Yeah. It reminds me of, you know, in First John, it says perfect love drives out fear. If we're not careful, we allow fear to drive out perfect love. Yeah. So thanks for uh, thanks for speaking that word. Man, I, I think the world of you. I love you. I love your family. And, uh, man, we just we pray blessings over you guys today. So thanks for hanging out for a few minutes. Yeah, thank you. It's been great talking to you. It's good to see you again. Yeah, buddy. See you later. If you are one of our men or women that's receiving people for prayer, we're going to offer an invitation in just a minute. You can go ahead and start making your way um, to your prayer positions. But a couple things that were mentioned. One uh, was that we've got to we've got to come up with a better motivation than fear if we're going to be salt and light. I, I think maybe as distinguishing as any other characteristic. Uh, salt and light has is is salt and light are people that base their decisions on faith, not fear. And let's be honest, we're scared, aren't we? I mean, just just look around, listen to advertisements on the TV or on the radio or on the internet today, and most of the things that are being sold to us are things to protect us and help us fear less, to help us be less scared about all the things that could happen in this world. And I I don't want to pretend like bad things don't happen all the time and that we don't have to be wise and we don't have to be reasonable. But is that the highest motivation we can come up with to protect ourselves and to be secure? Because Jesus doesn't talk a whole lot about protection. He doesn't talk a whole lot about security Other than if you are with me, I will never leave you and I will walk through that with you. We may not go around it. We may not go over it. We may not go under it, but we will go through it together. And I won't lead you anywhere that I've not already gone. And we as believers in Jesus have to overcome this addiction to fear. 
we have to see obstacles as opportunities for the kingdom of God to break in and do amazing things. We have to be people who focus on the promise and not the pain, who focus on the promise and not the problem. We have to be the people where Jesus makes a difference. When we see two pictures and the world says, that's reality, we say that is not reality. The reality is what is to come, and we're going to do everything within our midst and let the Holy Spirit empower us to bring heaven to earth, little bits at a time, little pieces at a time, little places at a time, little relationships at a time. And when the kingdom breaks in, we know it, and we're making decisions out of faithfulness, not out of fear. One thing Ken talked about, Kent talked about was uh, in regard to his book, Called for Life, that all of us have this calling in life, and there's a big calling, right? The calling to be faithful, to surrender our lives, to follow Jesus. But then there's also kind of a little calling, maybe a lowercase C instead of an uppercase C. And your calling isn't the same as my calling in the lowercase C. And so this morning, my question is, what's keeping you from following your lowercase calling? Because I have no doubt, everybody in this room, myself included, there's some stuff, there's some calling on our lives that the Spirit has placed on our hearts and put in our minds. And we know it's something we're supposed to walk through. We know it's a relationship we're supposed to engage in or re-engage in or forgive. Or there's some hardness of heart that's within us. And we know that what's keeping us back is fear. Because we are so scared of what might happen if we say yes to that. And so I don't know what that is. Like I said, we all have a big call, but we all have a little call. And if there's fear that is stopping you from stepping into something new and fresh, I just want to say, whether it's right there where you sit this morning or whether you go to one of our men or women or couples and and, and have someone pray with you and over you, we have to overcome this addiction to fear and start becoming addicted to faith. Start becoming addicted to saying yes when Jesus calls And instead of retreating in fear, marching forward in faith. So if you have something you want to share with somebody, if you'll, if you, if it's something you want to share with the whole congregation, come talk to my brother Joe down front. If you want it to just be between you and who you're praying with, you can go to any of the men and the women scattered around this worship center. Let's stand and let's sing.